working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everybody, this is Matthew Krause, and you're listening to the podcast, Working Drummer. Today my guest is drummer Milton Sledge. Milton is a studio legend best known for his work in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, as well as Nashville. Milton was a part of a hand-picked group of musicians called the G-Men, who recorded almost every Garth Brooks recording since the beginning of Garth's career. And in October of 2016, this group of fine musicians were inducted into the Musicians Hall of Fame. Just a few of the other artists Milton has recorded with include John Anderson, Jody Messina, Randy Travis, Gene Watson, Emmylou Harris, George Jones, Alabama, Trisha Yearwood, Pam Tillis, Vince Gill, and Toby Keith. To find out more about this podcast, this episode, and all the other episodes that we've got, you can find us at WorkingDrummer.net. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and while you're there, leave a rating and review. That really helps us grow. If you would like to become a sustaining member of this podcast and help support what we've been doing for a little over two years, you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash WorkingDrummer. You can also find links on our Facebook page and on the website. Through a monthly donation, you can receive different rewards for the different donations, different amounts that you contribute. They start around a free t-shirt. You can have access to bonus content. At the highest levels of donation, we will do a feature on you. And also, you can get a free Skype lesson from some of our hand-picked former guests that we've had on the podcast, including Carter McLean and Ben Caesar, along with a couple others that we're very excited to share. So look for us on patreon.com slash workingdrummer.net. So here's my conversation with Milton Sledge. We uh, we wanted to schedule something today, and um, and you had a, a session at Muscle Shoals. Can you tell me uh, a little bit about what you were doing today? Well, I got to tell you, man, it's, it was one of those bucket list type days for oh, me. Uh, yeah, I got to to do a session in the restored thirty six fourteen, uh, you know, Jackson Highway Studio, which was the original. Muscle Shoals Sound Studio, uh-huh. and uh, so it was amazing. We we did a, a a morning session there. The artist Kiefer Sullivan, uh, Sutherland, the actor. So he was in town. And he wanted to do a session, and obviously we agreed. Yeah, <laughs> so, wow. uh, yeah. So I got got to do that. That was amazing. First time, you know, I was ever in that room. Honestly, I think I really just. Yeah, you know, the years, by the time I, I sort of got, uh, you know, my uh, foot in the door at Muscle Shoals, you know, as a studio player originally, it was, they had already moved to the, you know, the last facility that they were in, the, muscle, the huge Muscle Shoals sound down by the river. But this original studio still has, has stood the test of time. It's it's been uh, closed up over the years, and but in the last, uh, I'd say, the last four or five years, there's been a, you know, real effort to restore it to its original thing. And let me tell you, it was it was amazing. It was wonderful. I got, you know, I played a little tiny drum kit in that small <laughs> drum booth that Roger used. You know, but it was amazing. Yeah. So it's been a wow. very interesting day you know and when, when you work with with Kiefer, uh do you have to do your session in 24 hours or the whole place blows up <laughs> thank the lord it was i think it was three and a half <laughs> <laughs> that's insane that's insane hey, you know he's he's in town he's doing a gig tonight in muscle shells and he's in Asheville tomorrow doing a gig and so you know, all of his crew and band were there. So it was, it was a cool thing. You know, we had a good morning there. But 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 for me, honestly, it was like I say, a bucket list thing. You know, I uh, even though I worked in all the later Muscle Shell Sound Studio, yeah. You know, I'd never even 
you know, had the opportunity here because they they had already left by the time I sort of got started. So, so it's, it's amazing they've restored it with all the, you know, the goofy looking furniture of the seventies, and you know, that's <laughs> hilarious. And when you mention when you mention the small room that Roger, you're talking Roger Hawkins, in yes, the small right. room, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and was that typical having because now we're in large rooms so we're trying to record room sounds so was that more typical to have a smaller drum booth yeah back then i think it was you know they used fewer mics so the less you know bouncing around stuff you you got sometimes was probably the best you know but i, I mean I, i'm no engineer really but I think it was just, you know, the place is small. It's not a very large room. And it was basically just a big room that they partitioned off and made a, a couple of, you know, booths. I think they were, uh, you know, the vocal booth is still intact, mm-hmm. you know, with, with um, you know, everybody's riding on there from Mick Jagger to, to Rod, you know, Stewart. And, you know. Yeah. But it's kind of, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a a cool small room you know i don't think they felt like they needed a huge huge room at that time you know do you do you but, remember, do you but remember? yeah I, you know, as far as as miking it today i noticed the engineer you know we were basically doing old schools sort of like you know a kick snare you know a couple of times but you know, the main overhead was an old ribbon, RCA ribbon mic. So it had that old funky feel, you know. Cool. That's, that's cool. Well, and and it's interesting that there's a lot of people that, and we can talk a little bit little bit about this, because I know that you're doing some recording at home as well. That's, mm-hmm. that's becoming a, a standard part of the landscape now, as so many of us are, are diving into that as technology is making that more accessible. Uh, and the challenge right. is space. Uh, some, yeah. you know, some of us have the room and the ceiling uh, to work <laughs> with. Uh, uh, most of us do not. Um, if we can just carve out a little bit of space in our in our living uh, space to to uh, set up some mics and plug in our laptop, we do it. Um, exactly. But we don't always have access to that. So it's just it's interesting that. There are uh, studios that that use, you know. I think we've all recorded in different types of spaces, small, very oh. small spaces, and large spaces. <laughs> Impossibly small spaces. <laughs> yeah, I also find it interesting that you know, I, I, you know, I'm like you, like, well, I'm no engineer, but right. you've been around it so much that I'm sure through yeah. osmosis you've picked up some of these tips and tools of the trade that now sure. you're able to put into practice when you work at home and experiment at home and different things like that. Exactly. Yeah, I know, you know, as far as mic placement, I mean, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I've seen that done over and over and discussed it with most every engineer that I've worked with, you know, like trying to, you know, that whole thing and trying to separate the hi-hat from the snare and the da-da-da-da-da, you know. But, you know, honestly, I've come, what I've come to realize over the years is, you know, you can you can solo everything, but it, you know, it's it's all about how the kit blends, you know. And yeah. what I've what I've been doing the past several years, and you know, I'm not real sure that <clears throat> that is the best approach, but you know what I, what I'm teaching a lot of the younger drummers that I'm working with is. You know, let's don't dampen things too much, but you know, let's let's try to get the kit to agree with one another. You know, you know what I'm saying. It, it, you know, and what I've done, I've sort of trimmed down my kit. I'm not using, a, you know, multiple multiple toms or anything. Honestly, I very rarely go over three, and most times nowadays it's two. If I can get two really agreeing with each other. And possibly, you know, as far as tone-wise, and the snare as well. If yeah. I can get all that agreeing with each other, it cuts down on a lot of the, you know, the overtones and that sort of thing. So, I'm, you know, I, the idea, I guess, is if you have a smaller room, liven up the kit. You know what I mean? If you can't really liven up the room, liven the kit a little bit. Okay. But as long as, they're, as, long as they're not fighting, you know, it's it's sort of the 
same ideas as tuning a guitar. You know, if uh, if each string, if one string is just out a little bit, it's going to cause something funky sounding. So you know, that's that's sort of more of a, a musical approach. But like I say, also with the idea of livening, you know, if you have a small room like I do at my place here. You know, then I try to liven up the kit by not deadening it down as much and having it sound fuller. So that's right. sort of been my, my thing. And plus, you know, I'm trying to sort of find a blend of of that that old sort of muscle shell. Since I've moved back to muscle shells, I've been intrigued with that older muscle shells type sound. Not so much what people think it is. You know, I, I had somebody ask me about a, you know, Muscle Shoals snare drum sound. I said, which era? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it's, right. It's like, you know, do you go to the era where it's, you know, the super sensitive thing, or was it the era when it was, you know, the eight-inch wooden drum, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. So, you know, and trying to trying to find those those kind of things. And, and a lot of that, honestly, was... You know, I think it was just uh, not so much close miking, but just sort of ambiance and tuning of the drums that made true difference. You know, but let me ask you. Let me ask you about um, when people request that sound. They come Mm -hmm. to you and they say, whether it's on the session or maybe it's a remote session, they say, "We want that Muscle Shoals sound." And I realize there are different eras and there are different things that you're very well in tune. But you know, it's almost like speaking to an executive producer. How do you, <laughs> how do you, how do you, in layman's terms, interpret that to deliver what maybe the maybe what you think that person is asking for? You know, a lot of times, man. I think it's, <clears throat> I think it's their concept. You right. know, and obviously, and and it's it's what they want. So. A lot of times I will go to one extreme or the other to find out just what they want. You know what I mean? If if I, because most people, when they say that muscle shows, snare sound, you know, they're talking about some kind of deep wooden kind of drum. They're not particularly talking about the the you know the sound that was used on Wilson Pickett's record. Okay. You know what? Yeah. (laughs) You know. Which is not that. That's yeah. obviously not that, you know. But uh, so you know, I'll try to have always have a compromise. You know, the, the the tricky thing is to always, you know, have a few snares if you're on a session anyway. You know, sure. you got to have. I mean, back you know, when I was in Nashville, I I always had a, a tray delivered, you know, and it would it would at least have six or seven, you know, right. but. Honestly, there was like four of them. <laughs> I know, I know. There's always a couple that people go to. They come in with a refrigerator full of snare drums, and it's like, well, and they use these two here, anyways. But, uh, but yeah, and you know, be- like like today, man, I took two. You know, and and one was because I kind of knew they were going to ask for that fat sort of ballady thing, mm-hmm. and it's that you know that big red uh, pearl you know, free floater that I've had forever. It's, you know, basically every ballad I've ever recorded has been with that drum. But you know what? Sometimes you can turn right around and do the same ballad with a, a, you know, like a a Dynasonic or something. Uh And it Uh can have a whole different type impact. You know, it just, it sort of depends on, you know that artist and and how they're they're feeling about it because me you know like I've said before my my thing is about the song anyway it's right. it's more about what the song requires and uh, you know sometimes you know like I say you can go in the opposite direction and and it have a, a more dramatic effect if you will so yeah, yeah well it's all compromise well we don't talk a lot of gear or tech technical speak but because i've got you on the line and your experience in studio i just want to ask briefly what is your go-to head if you have one for snare drum and maybe toms but you know something along that line well 
once again, it's a metamorphosis that changes a lot. I'm an Evans endorser, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, right now I'm sort of checking out some of the EV ones that they have. I haven't used it a lot. I have some here, but I haven't been into those a lot. But you know, my thing, Matt, is. Uh, you know, sort of in this semi-retirement phase that I'm in, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. and and sort of, you know, discovering some new things. What I've what I've discovered is, and and everyone knows this, obviously, but it uh, is, you know, it it totally depends on the kit and the drum. You know, uh, the last few years I've sort of look backwards basically into more vintage style stuff so uh you know i have a probably the most modern kit i have right now is a a 90s early 90s pearl kit Mm -hmm. and on those i'm i'm using like coated i've kind of drifted back to coated heads Uh so i've been using like g1s g2s yeah and there's a there's also a G one two, sort of a really a, a bid, you know, it's between the one and the two, and I've sort of been playing with that a little bit to see what those are like, and I'm digging them, you know, dependent like like I say, what the wood of the drum, you know, a couple of old kits I'm using are old poplar mahogany, so you know they they require a little bit thinner head, I think, and they sound, they pop pretty good. Yeah. I've got an older uh, Gretsch kit that I use a lot, and I've been I've been having a lot of success with the G12 on the on okay. the tops. Yeah. Okay. And as far as go-to snare heads, it's all over the place. I mean, once again, whatever the drum is, you know, I've, I've got a, a couple here I'm looking at. I've been trying the... Uh, uh, the new calf skin type thing that, uh, what is it? I should know. That, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, uh, vintage. You know, Evan, or... Evan, Evan's 56. You That's know, right. Like, That's right. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's like their, you know, their version of, uh, whatever, you know, that thing Remo used to make the, the fiber skin heads. Yeah. Really yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sort of that. Yeah, so for me, it's, you know, I'm just kind of in the investigating. Okay. I always with, you know. But, you know, like for a, like, I can, for instance, on my Black Beauty, it's a, it's a G2 coated on top. Okay. Yeah. You guys were inducted into the Musician Hall of Fame back in October, I believe. Yes, sir. Yeah. And, and, it was October 20th, in fact. Okay. Uh, and for those who don't know, the G-Men is kind of the nickname that you guys acquired because you were the group of musicians that recorded, is it safe to say, every Garth Brooks, Brooks record? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there have been, there've been a few things that we weren't on, but mm-hmm. but yeah, we we sort of... You know, we were sort of handpicked, if you want to call it that, by the producer and, and Garth, you know, as a group and put together in, in uh, 89, I guess, late 88 or early 89 is when we first met in the studio. I mean, we all knew each other as musicians and what have you. But, yeah, as a, you know, we started cutting those things and, Garth has been super loyal. He's always called us back, you know. So, yeah, even during his hiatus and stuff, you know, we we think, yeah, that's it, you know. We're <laughs> 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 but, you know, we we you know, and on his last couple albums, we're actually on the lion's share of most of the tracks for both those records. So, yeah, and, and were a, you been... were you guys a unit before, or or was it? I know you and Mike Chapman were. A, a rhythm section definitely as a unit uh on, yeah. on bass uh, but yeah. uh, as a as a uh, with the whole group there or w- did that become a unit after garth put you guys together well, you know a few a few of us had had already been sort of in the 
the mix with uh, Alan Reynolds, who was Garth's producer at the time. We'd already been doing records for him. I had I'd yeah. been doing. Uh, he, uh, uh, let's see, uh, me, myself, uh, Chris Luzier, Bobby Wood. Bobby Wood's been, you know, he's the keyboardist with the, the Memphis Boys as well. And, you know, with this, the G-Men, and uh, Bobby is, you know, he and Alan Reynolds go all the way back to Memphis days. So, uh, you know, so we we were all, had you know, knew each other before the Gar stuff. And and we're having some, you know, Mike actually played on a couple things with Kathy, I think. And we were having hits with her and, and, uh, uh, you know, how catch them out of that same sort of group, but a little few different players mm-hmm. in intermixed, you know. But uh, as that set group, Mark Castevens, Mike Chapman, uh, Bruce Bowden, uh, Rob Hayjakus, Chris Lusinger, Bobby Wood, myself, those seven guys basically have been the back the backing band for Garth for most of his career. Yeah. 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 That's so amazing. Uh, you know, it's it, uh, the timing of our interview is, is great. I, uh, I'm, I'm moving a little slow today. I had a chance to work with a friend last night and, um, we played, um, Papa loves mama. We played, much too, <laughs> we played much too young. We also played Seminole wind, which is John Anderson, but I was thinking, yeah. this is great. I'm, uh, uh, I'm playing Milton's parts. We, uh, we did a, a tribute to our Mike Chapman, who passed away yep. last year. We did we did a tribute uh, in November in Nashville to him from through the Nashville bassist thing or Facebook page. It kind of grew and grew and grew. But anyway, I had to relearn. Papa loves Mama. And, uh, Bob Ray came up and played bass on it from Muscle Shoals. But, man, I had to relearn it. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm not going to make it through this thing. So, anyway, the night we, <laughs> we, rehearsed, it, we rehearsed it the night before, you know, had, yeah. had artists over. And we did it one we did one pass, and I said, that's it. That was my fastball. We're not doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. Man, that song can be a challenge. Like, that's not something you can just throw together. I mean, when they say, when somebody yeah. calls that, I'm like, hey, hey, I know that one. I can, hey, you know. Too fast. <laughs> well, I want to, uh, if we can, I want to hang on uh, the the Garth thing. Um, uh, also, uh, I want to mention you you turned me on to uh, the Robin Flans interview that you did uh, a couple months ago. Thank you so much for that. Uh, that was oh, yeah. really that was really great, uh, really great information. Thanks. Um, I don't want to cover uh, too much of what she's done, but we need to cover some essentials for. For, for those uh, that haven't heard that, um, but uh, on on Garth's thing, I kind of wanted to ask you, he was new to the scene, a new artist, you guys were the seasoned professionals, mm-hmm. how much influence, what kind of direction did he give, if any, in the studio, kind of what was his role as a singer when you guys first started working with him? You know, I have to tell you, it's sort of a funny story. Like I said, we've been doing, a lot of us have been doing a lot of Kathy Matea stuff. And and so I think the first track was uh, much, too, much Too Young to Be This Damn All, I think, was the very first track to cut. Mm-hmm. And made, but anyway, so we're, we sort of, you know, we're, we're there. Alan Reynolds is there. So we're kind of thinking... Hey, this could be folky, or this could be blah blah blah. It could be a little bit of this, you know. And so <clears throat> we sort of, I, me particularly, I'm kind of thinking, you know, laying back, seeing how the song's going to develop. And Mike and I sort of develop this kind of real folky kind of approach to it. And everybody sort of fell in line. I think it just, you know, it felt good for the yeah. song. It seemed to relate a song. And we go in, Alan says, guys, come in, 
listen to a playback. So we go in, and Garth listens to it, and he, he looks at us, and he goes, all of us, and he goes, guys, he says, you know, I'm not the male Mateo. (laughs) 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 You know, I love her, but let's let's go for a little more ragged rock, you know, cowboyish kind of thing. And so that's that's gave us the direction. You know, Garth has never been shy about, uh, you know, sharing his ideas. And what most people don't realize is he's a very accomplished musician himself. So, you know, he always has ideas and and his ideas from my uh, vantage point a lot of times is to is to just push it as far as it'll go. And then we'll sort of lasso that in, if you will. You know, we'll take the best of all that. So, yeah, he always pushes us, you know, and and us him, you know. So, and he's always welcome to our ideas as, you know, he's not bullish about, you know, none of us, you know, in the studio, you, you know, you quickly get over getting your feelings hurt if your idea is not used. Sure, sure. It probably won't be coming back. But, you know, mostly, you know, a lot of of musicians, I think, uh, you know, they they will hold back on their idea. And, you know, there may be certain situations where your idea isn't welcome, you know. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I think it's, you know, people will hire you for your ideas as, as, as much as your playing ability. You know, a lot of it has to do with, you know, how you, how you treat people and how, how yes. you, you relate to people. But honestly, I, I think producers want your ideas, you know, and, uh, so yeah, you know, he's always full of ideas. I mean, I, you know, he and I, we've known each other for so long and he's a little bit younger than me. So I kind of treat, you know, we're, I tell people he's like my little brother, the one I like to argue with. <laughs> <laughs> but we, you know, it's it's always fun. It's always challenging. And, and did you guys know what an effect he would have on the genre, country music, and and just the music business overall? No, man. There's no, you know, because. Uh, for us, I mean, we knew it was a new artist, but, you know, and it was Alan Reynolds, you know, and so we took, you know, we take every session seriously, you know. Uh, but, yeah, a new artist, who knows, you know? And, yeah, but nobody could tell that. I mean, you know, his his first couple of gigs, I, I can tell you this, we, uh, you know, his, he had a gig over in East Tennessee, and uh, opening for who was it? Newgrass Revival? Uh-huh. I think it was in Bristol, Tennessee. And uh, I was talking to John Cowan a few weeks ago. And we were laughing about it because we opened for them, and the crowd booed us. They wanted us to get the hell out of Newgrass. So. You know, it was kind of, you know, nobody knew. I think it just, you know, gained the momentum and he captured a, a you know, a, a, I don't know, the ear of the nation, I guess, at that time. And, yeah. You know, the the what it gave us was license to kill. You know, after that, it was like, you know, us, we can do whatever we want to. Let's challenge every every bit of it you know but you know at the our my attitude anyway was always uh you know to challenge the the genre but respect it you know with mike chapman have always had deep uh, and everybody in that band always has a deep regard for country music you know the true what we you know purist type thing Mm -hmm. but but you know, we want to pay homage to all of that, but break some new ground, you know. So that that was always our mission, if you will. You I, know, I think it was that that mission was accomplished for sure. <laughs> well, thank you. Man. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, very, very much so. 
So where do you go to find a treasure trove of information about vintage drums, custom drums, and legendary drummers? NotSoModernDrummer.com. Since 1988, Not So Modern Drummer is an institution dedicated to researching and documenting the history of modern drums, the art of drum building, and the legendary drummers who play them. The writers and contributors are some of the top vintage and custom drum experts from around the world. Not So Modern Drummer serves as an online gathering place and marketplace for the worldwide community of drummers who buy and sell, collect, preserve, and play these instruments. It also hosts drum-related events that are attended by drummers from all over the world. This website is easy and fun to explore, and the monthly digital magazine subscription is free. So check out NotSoModernDrummer.com. Where I live now is a very rural area, and it's the area I grew up in. And so there wasn't a lot of drumming. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. I'd, you know, hadn't been exposed to a lot of drum set mm-hmm. stuff, you know. And the TV at the time, you know, every now and then I might catch a glimpse of some, you know, one of the, you know, staff band or something playing. But, you know, I knew rhythm was part of what I felt. I'd already started, you know, fooling around with guitar and stuff. And Mike Chapman was a guitar player. He and I were fat. We were friends since first grade in school, you know. And so, yeah. And uh, so, you know, we had gravitated towards music. His dad had an old beat-up guitar, and so did mine, you know. So we were sort of in that, you know, sort of interested in, you know, music and how how these chords form this, whatever. And then, uh, I guess, man, you know, the the very first time I remember seeing... uh, a full kit and somebody killing it was at at my high school like they had a dance or something and of course i didn't dance but i went there (laughs) to see this live band you know and this guy's playing an old ludwig kit you know and it's just kicking ass and i thought man that's that's cool Mm -hmm. well you know like maybe less than a year later the beatles are on sullivan and that was that sort of did it you know solidified it yeah, and so it had to be drums. So I, you know, I got in the school band. Once they started a band, just about that time they started up a band again. And so I got involved in school, and you know, from school uh, on to uh, the U.S. Army band for three years, and then back to college here in North Alabama. And that's when I started started trying to work into you know, doing some clubs and doing a few rock bands. But, you know, honestly, man, once I saw the inside of the studio and most of the shows, I was hooked, you know, and that was probably, that was, you know, I was probably 14, 15. You oh, know, wow. I, I attended a, an all-night overdub horn session. <laughs> yeah. And, I, you know, just the magic of the place and, and you know, seeing what what could be done with it, you know, it opened my eyes. So that, honestly, has always sort of been my focus, getting in the studio, you know. It was. It's so funny you say that. Um, we were watching a, document, a documentary the other night uh, on HBO, and it was... Uh, uh, you know, it was actually it was a studio here, Southern Ground, then the uh, here in Nashville, and my fifteen-year-old, well, almost fifteen-year-old, in two days, said, "I'd love to have a job where I just hang out in a studio all day long." <laughs> and I was just, I was like, "Well, you're in the right town." Yeah, especially if you're going to be an engineer. You will be there all day. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. And, and I think that's the thing that, as drummers, we kind of have the best of both words. Worlds, we're the first ones in, and yeah, yeah. you get in, you do yeah. your thing, and then, and a lot of times, you're at, you're out of the way. Uh, yeah. And it's hard for us to 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 understand how many hours are spent in in you know uh, in a room with no windows and. and a, <laughs> amen. Amen. <laughs> but but you 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 felt that you felt I this is a place I need to be. Yeah, you know, I just I was enamored with it. 
and like I say, I you know, I, it did. You know, it took several years to get get my toe back in the door. You know, mm-hmm. to, to be able to play. But I think I, you know, I, it just seemed extremely attractive to me. You yeah. know, and so uh, you know, of course. You know, like I say, a lot of playing went on way before that. You know, okay. I sort of broke in, in to the studios and muscle shows in the late seventies and worked there through the through the uh, early eighties. And things had quietened down there a good bit. It had be- become more of a, a publishing town. Okay, and so you know, I started uh, lucked into you know getting to play on some really great songwriter demos. They had some super writers, Robert Byrne, uh, Mac McAnally, all those guys. So, you know, getting to do a lot of great songs and, and they, the songs were getting heard in Nashville. So eventually I started getting a few calls from Nashville, you know, and, uh, and in 84, finally I realized I was working more in Nashville than I was in the Shoals, even though I was still living in Alabama. And so we decided to pack it up and move, and that was 84, so 30 years in Nashville, we came back in 2014. Okay. You know, and, uh, but yeah, the studio is, you know, it's, to me, like, I I wrote something the other day about you know, it's a magical place in my mind. It's you know, I've I've been blessed to to witness true you know musical magic in many times in my career. You know, I'm blessed with that because it's it really is a a magical place that you know that you have the freedom you know to to really create something that will that will be here forever. So yeah. that's, to me, that's, that's always, uh, you know, that's attractive. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and Nashville has just been getting more and more attention in recent years for better, yeah. for better or ill. Uh, yeah. But I wanted to kind of find out from you, I've been here since 2000 and I know that you, you, of course you've been down in Alabama for the last three years, but how have have you noticed things change? Maybe how the the studio scene has changed, and the approach. Maybe we can just kind of fine tune or focus on that. How your approach differed from '84 to to 2014. Yeah. Well, you know, for one thing, there's a lot less work. Mm. It's a a little more closed up system than there was back in when I first made the transition and and quite honestly it has to do with the publishing companies because as I mentioned, you know, what initially I felt like got me noticed in Nashville was the demo or demonstration recordings that I was doing with songwriters. Yeah. And uh, and as I made the transition to Nashville, I immediately through those connections, through those songwriters, met other songwriters. And, you know, basically my friend Bruce Bowden calls that the minor leagues for recording, mm. you know, record recording, because, you know, we <clears throat> we were doing lots and lots of demo sessions uh, as well as, you know, the, the you know, not as frequent, uh, you know, record sessions, if, you know, for sure. the for the major artists, but tons and tons of songwriter demos with great writers that were, you know, their songs were being played for almost every major artist. Uh-huh. So that was, I mean, it, it, looking back on it, it was in, invaluable, you know, because through that I met so many incredible songwriters who would then you know, play their thing for whoever artist and that artist would go, who is that? Who's the band on that? Where was that cut? Was that, you know, cut here? You know, so it got, it got your, you know, the, uh, uh, 
you know, your reputation, you know, when people, you know, does he show up on time, that kind of thing, you know. <laughs> <And> so, <clears throat> you know, and uh, so that's that's sort of how you built your reputation as a studio player. Nowadays, it's much, much tougher. There are very few publishers that, that uh, extend the right to do full-blown demos to their writers. So, you know, it's, it makes it harder. Uh, I know there's a, a more of a, a live scene in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Back in, you know, in the 80s, and I mean, there was, there was a few of those things, but, you know, not that much, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, not like, the, you know, the touristy scene down the Broadway and stuff like that. that. That stuff didn't happen back then. It was more like, you know, just Demon's Den and a couple of, places on Broadway. Okay. You know, that was it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Tootsies or whatever. Right. You know, right. nothing it is now. So I don't know, you know, it's hard for me to say because I, you know, I didn't, I never participated in that type scene as much. I, sure. You know, I sort of stopped doing a lot of live stuff, uh, I don't know, around uh, 2000 or so. And just sort of just mainly concentrate on just doing studio stuff. And but even prior to that, I was never actively involved in doing a lot of live stuff in mm-hmm. Nashville. It was mainly like a you know doing showcases for for writers or for a new artist or something of that nature. You know, well, that's, but, uh, yeah, that sounds glorious too. Uh, um, on Facebook, I, you posted something about uh, magic, when magic happens in the studio. Yeah. I think you summed it up pretty well, but I just had to mention it, because you said it's it's hard to say when it's going to happen, but sometimes it happens. I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm paraphrasing. That's it, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's you, you can never predict when it's going to happen, or... Or even if if it will happen, but sometimes it just happens, you know. I mean, uh, it's my friend and I agree. Said, you know, it all starts with a song, and and I agree with that. Yeah. But it's also, I think it's a there's it, a little bit of ingredient of of each person that's participating there their input or their what they bring to it, it whether it's their personality or it's you know their uh, uh, in- incredible idea yeah. you know or yeah. just the total execution of something you know I've I've been in the studio before and, and been across the room from from you know I won't mention any names but people that I just go oh my god you know I, I just don't believe what I just heard you know, and, it, you, know that, you mean in a good way or a bad way yeah oh in a great way in a great you know? way okay I mean, yeah you know <laughs> well I mean it's happened the other way too right but. right I can't believe what I just heard <laughs> that person just wrote a song about his his cat <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> and you have to smile and say, "Well, I'm glad I'm on time." <laughs> smelly cat, smelly cat. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> well, you never know. I mean, you know. But yeah, you know, it's just you know a word or or so it can spark that kind of thing. So you know, it's it's we always expect it, but you know. Uh, you know, uh, I would caution most studio players, and you know, don't don't just concentrate on playing just studio work. It's more fun to have the total mix of of both. You know, uh, there was a time in Nashville where you know, honestly, if you were a studio, known as a studio player and you took a road gig and someone found out about it, it was like, oh crap, you know, they may not call you again. You know, it was that sort of fear. I think that still but exists. I think it, I think, I, I'm, I don't know, but it, but I know there are some people who, who were definitely known as session players that were end up on yeah. the road and say, hey, don't tell anybody I'm doing this because I yeah. need to, because you need to give the impression that you're in town to take work because yeah. there are, are available 
yeah, available immediately, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, 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 you know, one of the first, uh, well, I mean, I was already doing some stuff, you know, with Alan Reynolds and different different people coming back and forth from most shows. But once I got moved up here, uh, one of the first calls I got was from Jerry Kennedy's office, and it was it had to have been like seven thirty one morning, and uh, Jerry Kerrigan was supposed to do a they were it was like the middle of July or something, and they were doing. Um, uh, Statler Brothers Christmas record that day, and Jerry Kerrigan was supposed to be there, but he'd been on the road with someone I don't remember John Denver or somebody I don't know who, who he was with, but anyway, he got stuck in the Houston airport, Dallas airport, and couldn't get a flight back to Nashville to be in town. So they called me, "Can you be there?" And I'm yeah. going, "Hell yes, I can be there." You know, so, <laughs> you know. It's that that was a lot of that was happening back in the day, you know. It, you know, people were not not like missing sessions, but you know they would recommend you for something, and it was all word of mouth that kind of thing. So, you know, uh, going back to your question about what it's like now, I mean, I think there's just fewer and fewer master dates done, mm-hmm. you know, than there had been before but you know the the lack of of the demo work i think it's you know it's, it makes it tougher i mean it's because that was that was our bread and butter most right of us. Uh, you're in a different position than i think most of us but at the same time how have you adapted to some of the changes i know that you have a studio at home and that's a common thing i mean People are yeah. still recording. They're still. You can't wish for the old days to come back. It's just not going to happen. No, but, no, it, it won't. I mean, I moved here in 2000, so after the boom, that surge mm-hmm. in the 90s, that I, I, yeah. I, I think Garth was a big reason for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, and then you have uh, wonderful players moving every week uh, yeah. here, and I mean we're talking about nashville in particular but at the same time uh how and and i kind of listening to your interview again uh with robin flan um you 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 give me the impression that you know it's like you appreciate the past you appreciate like all the things that you've accomplished but you seem to stay focused on what's next you continue to focus on what the future holds uh, without letting the the past kind of be the thing that sustains you, which is just it's it's glorious because I, I feel yeah, like, well, I mean, you could rest on the well, laurels. It's true. I mean, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't spend a lot of time, and I never did actually listening to the stuff that I recorded, you know, or like keeping tabs on what was selling what or anything. I just sort of. You know, always sort of, you know, I mean, I'd, I'd hear occasionally something on the radio and I go, you know, that's great. I mean, what a great feeling to hear yourself on yeah. the radio. Yeah. But, you know, after a while, it's, you know, my, I don't my, I think my whole life has been uh, sort of, you know, what's around the next corner? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm that kind of guy. Like, yeah, that's cool. I see what we just did, but what's what's next? You know, mm-hmm. and and so yeah, that's uh, you know, I guess. I mean, that's that's what I want to be. You know, I mean, I don't. There's there's nothing to be gained by looking at what I've done and pat myself on the back. You know, I mean. I'm flattered that the the Musicians Hall of Fame chose to to honor us as a group of musicians, and I'm totally proud of that. But you know, it's like I like I say, I'm more interested in what what we're going to do next year or what I'm going to do six months from now. You know, I've, uh, you know, since since my best friend Mike Chapman passed away. It's been almost a year now. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've I've taken a long hiatus, Matt, you know, mm-hmm. away from 
play in for a while and just sort of re- refocus because, you know, he and I, we, you know, like you said, we were, we were a team, you know. And it's, uh, you know, coming to grips with never having that, you know, again, not quite like that, you know, that mm-hmm. – that sort of thing where you don't even talk, you know. I mean, you got you got bass player buddies you yeah. play with. Yeah, it happens, you know. And uh, it's you know it's it's left a huge hole. But but man, there's there's so many gifted musicians, you know. And just to to have been in the midst of some of the greatest musicians in the world in Nashville, you know, is is worth something. I mean, you got to know when you when you're doing whatever gig, you know, it's it's pretty special. And you look over and you see, you know, a Buddy Emmons or a, you know, whoever, you know, it's going to make an impression. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somebody that I knew early on was Tommy Wells. Uh, who, oh yeah who was very, very kind to me. Um, uh, When I first moved to town, he invited me to his sessions. And um, he, one of the things that I learned right away was attitude and uh, was such a big part of how you operate successfully in this business. I meet, so many wonderful players, so many wonderful drummers that I've looked up to for so many years, and they all have that similar vibe, this very yeah. open uh, attitude, and it, it just—it's been a constant reminder of what a what a what an important lesson that is. I knew Tommy well enough to know that Tommy was a truly enjoyed sharing his knowledge with you, and uh, and. Uh, you know, uh, when uh, I was still living in Nashville, I sort of, sort of, I wasn't doing a lot. I'd sort of just stopped playing for a while, hmm. and uh, just and uh, I I came down here to North Alabama to house sit at my brother's house down on the river, just you know, kind of a week just to get away, get yeah. out, you yeah. know, for a time. So anyway, I'm sitting sitting here. And Mike Chapman calls me that morning and says, man, Tommy Wells passed away last night. And and I'm telling you, it hit me like a ton of bricks because the more I sat there and thought about it, I realized that, you know, I had sort of taken, you know, some time away. But I'd always promised myself that when I took time away, I would, would, you know, uh, pay back, you know, sort of pay it back or pay it forward. You know, and not set on my butt, you know. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I had just been set on my butt. I mean, I'd, I'd kind of whittled my <laughs> my golf score, you know, my handicap had dropped a bit, but that's about it, you know. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, honestly, it hit me. I was like, holy crap, man, you know, you need to get off your butt and, and do what you said you were going to do, you know before it's too late kind of a deal. Yeah. And he actually was, like I say, the catalyst for that. And uh, after a couple of days, I called my wife and, and I said, honey, well, I think we need to, I think we need to go back to North Alabama where we grew up. I said, I just, I feel, you know, like God's trying to tell me, you know, to, to go back where you started if you want to start giving back, you know. And because, like I mentioned earlier, it's a very rural area. I remember uh, very vividly what that was like growing up here and not really even understanding how I could even have a career in music, you know. And so that's what we did, man. We went. I called my wife and she said, uh, you know, yes, let's do it. And nice. I, I fully you go, you're crazy, you know, but didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that kind of started the ball roll. We put our house up for sale up in Nashville, and, and before you know it, in 2014, we're, we're down here, you know. And and that's sort of been not so much the playing thing, but sort of the sharing thing, you know. And, and um, just 
mentoring if I can, you know, and, you know, I have, I have people I'll, you know, I'm probably kind of a pain in the butt sometimes, but, you know, like a friend of mine, I was, I was watching him play drums at church and I sort of caught something he was doing that I thought I can help him with that, that technique. Uh And so I I called him up. I was kind of sheepish, you know, I was like, Man, you want to come out to my place, you know? <laughs> so that's what happens from time to time, you know. Either other people might seek me out, or I'll, I'll, you know, if it's a friend, I want to help them, you know. If I can share what I know, that's what it's all about. Well, I was going to you ask know? you what what are you doing uh, to fulfill that goal to pay it for? Yeah, like mm-hmm. like I say, just sort of helping what I can, mm-hmm. you know, and. And I've had a you know a few uh, a few things where I just talk to young people you know about about how to break into you know the music business or ideas about how how it can happen or mm-hmm. avenue they might could. you know like one thing uh, month this coming Monday a couple few of us Muscle Shows guys are doing sort of a mock session at a, a high school in Muscle Show in Florence, Alabama. Oh, high wonderful. School. Nice. They they have a studio, so we're going in, and it's sort of a last end-of-the-year thing, so don't don't mention it. Because <laughs> <laughs> they don't know about it. No, I'm just kidding. But, yeah, so it's stuff like that, you know, and I'm op- always open to questions, you know, uh, you know, like, how do you do this? You know, how do you tune drums in the studio? How do you, whatever. You know, there's been a couple of couple of people that had, like, little kits in their studio, and they just go, man, can you please come over and just tune these? Or, you know, mm-hmm. so, it, you know, it can be as little as that or as big as a, a speaking engagement somewhere. So, nice, nice. You know, so, you know and... And like I, like I told somebody, you know, what am I going to do with what little knowledge I have? You know, why would I want to keep it yeah. to myself? You know, I might as well share whatever it is. You know, and and uh, you be, you know, it's wonderful. You know, you teach. You know, I mean, if to see somebody, you know, that will ask what they think is a ridiculous question, and then you show them the sim- simplicity mm-hmm. of the. It's amazing, you know. It's a wonderful thing. Oh, I know. They, they yeah. It, started out as a as a music teacher anyway, and you know when I was just got back in college after the army, that's you know I was going to be a, I guess a band director. And man, I would suck that, you know. So <laughs> it's a good thing I didn't do that. But. <laughs> Please don't think that I'm, you know, I don't like and love Nashville. I love Nashville, <laughs> you know. It's just, uh, you know, my wife and I, we, you know, honestly, you know, like I say, you know, rather than, uh, we just felt like it was, you know, we have family down here, too. So it was that, you know, reaching a certain age in life, you know, we want to go back and reconnect with that. But. Honestly, uh, the the catalyst was that whole idea of you know you need to sort of do more to give back you know and yeah. uh, without patting myself on the back too much you know I mean that's sort of been our mission. I got you know we got sidetracked a bit when we moved down here. I mean uh, we got hit by a tornado <laughs> or a house. Oh no! You know we we had a few struggles the first couple of years. And that was before I could get my studio built, you know. So now, you know, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm enjoying what we were talking about earlier, you know, doing some tracks here. I've been doing a few things for a couple of new artists. And, you know, that's exciting. That's fun. You know, it's not as much fun as sitting in a room with a G-Man, you know. Right, right. It's a different type of challenge, so I accept it as that, you know. I always found that that recording at home, you don't have that person telling you, "Dude, stop! That's it. 
<laughs> Don't do that again. Yeah, yeah uh, you know, 23, <laughs> 23 takes in, you're like, it's not getting, you know. what? <laughs> you know, I was doing, honestly, I, you know, that is a temptation when you're a drummer. It's like, you know, man, I can, I can do whatever the hell I want, you know, and they're going to. Like either go that sucks or that's great, you know. Yeah. But you know, the thing is, I try. I try to when I'm doing it here at home. I try to look at it from the viewpoint of a producer, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's for me. That's that's been a lot of fun, you know. That that type thing. But like uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was doing a thing up here, and I just you know it just didn't feel quite right i just didn't feel that great about it so i did i don't know three or four passes and i made my poor wife come up here and choose one (laughs) (laughs) honey i need you to produce yeah i need you to put on your producer's hat and, and she she picked the same one i would have so we're on the same page. <laughs> well, well uh, while we're on, let me ask you one. I want to ask you one last thing. Um, kind of uh, while we're on this subject, um, is there anything that you do when you're recording as far as a certain mix? Maybe you have something stand out over another thing. Uh, I know sometimes people try and put the hi hat in a certain spot in the mix, or the song, or the click. Is there something that you do that kind of helps? helps you get to that place that you need to be to make the song feel right. Has, has there been any of that thing that you've discovered? Yeah. yeah, I'm sure you have too, right? You know, it's, but it, I'm still looking know, for it, Milton. I'm still yeah, looking for it. That's you know, why I'm asking you. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I just, I sort of balance it the way I want to, you know, the way I want to hear it sitting on top of the kit. You know, engineers don't, they don't always, uh, think of it as you know, like it, it's a it's a the total instrument. You know, it's like it, it, we play with balance. So basically, that's what we want to hear back. You know, and uh, not anything overpowering the other thing. I'm not a huge fan of having the hi hat real hot in the mix. You know, I'd I'd much rather have have more kick drum than mm. the hi hat. and uh and usually what what i'm at least what i'm finding is you know if i can uh basically take the room mics i don't really need to hear those Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. cutting so i'll pull i'll pull those way back well and 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 just so i'm uh i'm clear to our listeners we're talking about we're talking about a uh a headphone mix when we're tracking, yeah. not necessarily what we're delivering uh, to the the person we're recording for, or what we're delivering for uh, a mix, but but uh, yeah, what's comfortable for us for performing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, just what we're listening to. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'll you know I, I want to hear the kit. Basically, if I'm sitting there without headphones, I want to hear it like that. You know what I mean? Yes. That, that kind of balance and. Uh, one thing is, you know, I know, you know, as far as what the final product is going to be, uh, when you're cutting, I always pan stuff just like I'm sitting at the drum kit. You know, in other words, the hi-hat's on my left, floor uh-huh. tom's on my right. You know, that whole, and the overhead's the same way. And then, you know, but consequently, most records are mixed the other way around. Yeah, right, but, right. But you don't want to be cutting with it already mixed. You know what I mean? I don't yes. I don't it, it's very disconcerting for me to be playing the hi hat and it's on my left and I'm hearing it on my right ear. You know what I mean? It's yeah. kinda of like ain't right. So yeah, I always just kinda of go from just basically what it sounds like in front of me and then enhance or work with that, you know. Yeah, and just sort of the balance, you know, that we that we that we were playing live, you know. 
I, I'm, I'm, I don't know why I do this, but I'm, I'm very anal about like putting my headphones in when I'm listening to music. The right ear goes in the right ear. The left goes in the left ear when I'm listening to music. And then every once in a while, you'll hear the balance of the drum set. And often it is where you're, you're listening from outside the drum set in front. So the hi-hat you'll hear on the right-hand side. Right. You know? Yeah. So, you know, yeah, most, most uh, engineers that are cut and most, you know, they're, they're going to feed it to you just the way you were sitting there, like we were saying, you know, right, I had a floor tile, right. But, you know, when they go to mix the record, it, it's usually from a an audience. An audience perspective. perspective. Every once in a while, yeah. you get that other way around. Where, yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. the producer wants yeah. to give you that perspective. I, I, I love that. Um, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Unless yeah. it's a, a lefty like, yeah. like John Root. Yeah, I, I know a few drummers that are, you know, or they were former drummers and engineers, and a lot of them still mix from the drum perspective. <laughs> so that's it, cool. That's, yeah. cool. that's cool. <laughs> Milton, I'm so glad we had a chance to do this. It's so nice to get to know you more so over time, and um, and just taking the time to to talk to me and and just and do this. So. Uh, hey man, I'm more than happy to do it. And, yeah, and it's, uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure meeting you as well. You Thank know? you, man. I will. Next time I'm in Nashville, we'll go have a uh, a hamburger or something. I'd love yeah. it, man. I'd love it. There's, uh, and, and it'd be great to see you again. And and keep in touch with us. And um, get your editor out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. I've got this down. No, we'll, we do a little bit, but um, and, and you know, and we, a lot of things we didn't we didn't talk about, which I didn't feel was a hundred percent necessary. But at the same time, uh, people will see in the show notes uh, many of the the artists that you've worked with over the years. And, and uh, for those uh, who aren't as familiar with with a lot of the work that you've done, the behind the scenes uh, that that a lot of people don't get, but uh, but are necessary. So. Um, but yeah, with all the different artists and the different things, so um, it's you, it's man. been great. Thanks. But no, thank you, Milton. Uh, good to hear from you again, and um, I'll be in touch, man. Okay. Yes, please do. Okay. And uh, yes, thank you for calling. Thank you. I'll talk to you again soon. All right, pal. All right. Bye. 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 Milton is one of those guys that when you meet, you feel like you've known him forever. Uh, he is a super sweet soul and has. A, a, an amazing uh, number of stories to share. Early on in this uh, podcast, Rich Redman brought up Milton as somebody that would be great as a guest, and it's taken us a little while to get there, but I appreciate that uh, Milton taking the time to talk to me. Um, he visits Nashville regularly, but we had to do it over the phone, and uh, it was a great conversation, and I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. As always, my thanks goes to Mike Jackson for his technical help every every week. And stay tuned for one of Zach Albetta's interviews next week. Also want to just remind you all that we are uh, on our Patreon campaign. Uh, if you would like to become a sustaining contributor to what we are doing, uh, I encourage you to go to patreon.com slash workingdrummer.net to find out more information about how we can share the rewards that we have set up for you if you decide to contribute. And there are so many different amounts that you can contribute if you think that it's something that you can do. They start at a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, twenty, and fifty. These are monthly contributions that you give to something that is ongoing, and that's what this podcast is. Please at least go there, check that out, and um, stay tuned again next week. Again, like I said, for Zach's interview, and uh, hope to see you all around. Thanks. Bye bye. <laughs>